Welcome to Pop Culture Retro, which was recently voted the 15th best podcast by the residents of the Golden Years Retirement Community in Boca Raton, Florida. Each show, we'll revisit some of your favorite pop culture memories with insider and outsider perspectives. Now, please help me welcome your hosts, Ike Eisenman and Jonathan Rosen. Hello and welcome to another edition of Pop Culture Retro. I'm one of your hosts, Jonathan Rosen, along with the man who was so good in his role as Randy in the two-part Phantom of the Roller Coaster on Wonder Woman that the producers decided to end the series after that since no other guest star could possibly compare, Ike Eisenman. <laughs> Ike, how are you today? Well, I'm doing pretty good. It's nice to know I helped kill a show, if that's uh, if that's what you meant to say. It's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. See, see, I have not double-checked that, and I keep saying people are asking me about on, on other um, interviews and podcasts what, uh, about Wonder Woman and and... And now you've helped me confirm it that yes, that was like the end of the show. And I don't think I even re I didn't even, <laughs> even realize that at, at the time because I actually enjoyed watching that show. So I well, I used to enjoy watching it. Wonder Woman as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, enough said about that. Yes. <laughs> uh, I still enjoy but, Linda Carter's posts. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. Well, today should be a very interesting show, hopefully, to people who um, well, let's really do, let's like announce the topic first. I mean, yeah, the, <laughs> the, you know, for, for those of you out there that actually do enjoy hearing about the technical aspects of filmmaking, um, at least half of my entire career in in um, in movies and television was off camera behind uh, in post-production behind the scenes in a process called ADR or looping. And I'll explain what all those, what those terms were referred to as we start to talk about it. What but, does ADR stand for? Well, ADR stands for automated dialogue replacement. That's what it stands for. And it's a process that, that ended up um, replacing the quote unquote looping process and the looping process goes back a very long way um, in, in, um, in the industry. Um, looping used to historically refer to, this is all a sound, a sound effects and post-production sound process that I'm going to be talking about today. Um, my involvement in it was extensive with uh, several hundred other actors that, that I knew back, uh, back in the day and worked with to help provide essentially customized sound effects for movies and TV shows. And it's all the background voices you hear in movies, um, whether it's out in the street in a restaurant in a crowded, you know, stadium or whatever it might be, all those sounds are actually custom made, custom recorded and cut together to suit the specifics of the movie. But the whole process went back to, um, very like very humble and interesting origins back in the 50s when they started to pay more attention to the sound quality of, of films not that they ever didn't but they started to realize that they could they needed to augment sounds or add more voices to scenes where they hadn't recorded them before and um they just wanted it to sound very mundane they didn't want it to stand out in any way shape or form so it, it wasn't anything terribly creative um, and this leads me to my th the third term that's used for this process, which is called WALA, 
uh, spelled W-A-L-L-A. That and one it's I've an never actual, heard of. Yeah, it's <laughs> an, it's an, it, it is an actual term. I don't know how it started, but bigger films that had the budget for it, studio pictures would, um, when they got into their post-production, they're editing the film, they're adding the sound effects and they're adding um, yeah, the music and all of that. Um, the sound designers would go and collect secretaries from every office in the building and say, come on, we need you to come in and do some crowd scenes for us. And so they'd gather all these people, these non-performers, put them around a microphone and they would just make sort of vocal noises. And it, it sounded so, I, I don't know, it just sounded so strange. Like it was like wall-to-wall -wall dialogue, wall-to-wall -wall dialogue turned into walla, just walla, just, you know, just say walla. And what all these people would do is stand around a microphone and say walla, 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 or peas and carrots. Peas and carrots was another big one. Peas and carrots, peas, peas and carrots, walla, 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 walla. It was all they had to do. So you've got 10 or 20 people doing this. And oh, the it glitz just, of show business. Yes. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. It, the origins are weirder than actually what I ended up, you know, working in, but that's where the term walla came from. It was literally a term that people would say just to make the sound of voices, people sounding like they're talking without actually really talking. So they didn't have to make anything up. They could just make these noises and, you know, you could have four people doing it. So it wasn't, it didn't sound like that many people. And then you could have 10 or 20 people doing it sound like a, a bigger crowd. Can I, can I interject just one second? I, I'm loving yeah. the idea that someone is you know, studying their craft seriously and taking all these lessons. And then they say, I got a role in a movie. Oh, what did you do? Well, <laughs> you <know>? yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, well, eventually, by the time I became involved in the process, which was the late 80s, early 90s, um, um, you know, in mid 80s, gosh, I really don't even remember. It's, 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 okay, it's, now, I just it's wanted so because for people who have not seen other episodes, which I don't know why you haven't, if you if that's true, but you wanted you wanted to make this ship for a while. You had not you got tired of like you know going on, on the audition process. You wanted to get into. You found out about voiceover. How how did you get into that? Well, <clears throat> yeah, it was a, when I when I finally got into my early twenties. I was very yes, very much tired from my on-camera career. I still love doing the work, but the auditioning process had just worn me out and I just couldn't, I really couldn't take it anymore. And I, I can't say I was actively looking for something else to do because I didn't know what else to do. I was trying to pursue a career in voiceovers. I had a voice, voice, absolutely lovely voiceover agent that sent me out on all kinds of things, but I wasn't quite getting enough work there to really um, establish a reputation for myself. And um, just coincidentally, I was doing a very tiny play in a very tiny theater in Hollywood with an actress that I didn't really know. We became very friendly working on the play together. And she was talking about how, um, you know, we do a performances on the weekend. So you'd come in and say, how was your week? And she'd say, oh, I had a great week. I, I looped a couple movies this week. And um, so that was really great. And she kept saying this and it sounded weird to me. I didn't know what it was because for me, looping, which I want to explain that process also right. from my perspective, and 
on camera, um, when you're shooting a movie or TV show on camera and you're shooting outside, which happens a lot because there's a lot of location shooting, whether it's in the city or in the country or wherever, um, it's very difficult to control the quality of the audio. Um, they try to get clean tracks of all your dialogue, but sometimes airplanes fly over, you have wind noise or traffic noise or things that will will absolutely muddy uh, the dialogue that you that, that's being recorded um, at the time. And they don't always have the luxury of like waiting till it's perfectly quiet to shoot something. You just have to go ahead and do it. So then what happens is after the film or TV show is posted, you go into, you're called into loop, which is looping your own dialogue, re-recording it in a studio so that they can lay it over the actual footage that they've shot. And then it sounds perfectly clean. That eliminates you have to all the look background. look at your noise. lips moving or whatever lips just to like, you know, I'll try to match it up. Or Eventually that's what happened. But in the very, <laughs> in the earlier days for me, back in like, you know, the, the, the early seventies, you didn't, there was nothing on screen. You only heard it in a headset. Oh, you wow. put a headset on. And the reason why it's called looping is they would take this little loop of audio um, they call it mag it's it's it, it looks like film because it's got perforations in it but it's got a magnetic stripe on it that records and plays back audio so there'd all these there'd be all these machines one with the loop of the dialogue it'd be the the line i was saying it's like you know something like come on guys let's go over here you know let's say for example and there would be some noise in it well that would just go over over and over again on an endless loop through this machine. The thing that gave you um, the cue to start the first moment of your line were these three beeps. So you would hear in your headset, you hear beep, 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 then on, we call it the fourth imaginary beep, which is <laughs> mythic, a mythic term in the industry. On the fourth imaginary beep, you then start your line and try to mimic exactly the same rhythm and everything that you recorded originally. And it was a fascinating process for me because I liked it. It was fun to do, trying to get that as much in sync as possible. And they'd record one or then you'd play it back and see how it sounded and you'd make adjustments and record another one. But this loop is just constantly going over and over and over again. And what is interesting about it, and people in audio and music will understand what this means, but the key was to read your line as you're recording it so that you actually don't hear it in your headset. When you match it perfectly, mm -hmm. you don't actually hear your line anymore. So if oh. you're hearing parts of your line pop in and out as you're recording it, you're out of sync with your own dialogue. So there was a real skill set involved in making this stuff work. And um, I got a lot of compliments very early on about how I just sort of had a natural knack at being able to do this. And so I was, I was, I was actually quite good at it. A lot of actors are really terrible at it. They have a very hard time doing it. And a lot of different uh, performers have their own special processes they like to, they like to um, utilize to try to make it work. But Eventually, and you know, I've watched this evolve. Yes, they started to then show you something on screen. They, they would project something on screen, especially if it was a movie. With Witch Mountain, they projected. I was in their, the B stage at uh, Disney Studios. They had the, the, the film up on the screen. It was a, and, and I say in those days, 
um, a black and white work print that I would I would watch. And then that way I could see, yes, myself saying the line, I had hear it in the headset along with the beeps. And then we could play it back on the speakers on inside the stage and see if it all matched up. And so that was what looping meant to me. So when my friend said that she'd looped two movies the week before, I thought, wow, good grief. She's working a lot. I mean, I can't believe this. She's looping herself in these two movies. Following the second week, I asked her what it was. And I said, I said, you know, what the titles were, they were huge titles. And, and I said, it just didn't make any sense that she would be doing that. And I finally said, what, what is this? What is it you do? She says, well, you know, looping, ADR, you know, AD, you know ADR. And I said, well, yeah, I know it from an on-camera actor, but I don't know. I'm not sure I know what you're talking about. He says, she said, yeah, I work with a with a group and and we do all the you know the background voices for movies and TV shows and she starts to explain all this to me that she's going in and working on these movies and doing all this voice work and as she's laying it all out for me I felt this like I just felt I I I don't know something hit me and I said this there's something here that I want to find out more about so as I inquired further I found out that she, you know, she did not have to audition for them. There was a casting woman who cast all these things. She was extremely prominent in the industry, actually the, one of the biggest ones in the industry period. And um, she, she just waited around for a phone call. And when she got a call, she went into work and come to find out that all the jobs were actually SAG jobs. There were SAG contracts. There were residuals attached to this. And I just started to go tick, 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 tick in my <laughs> head. And I thought, oh my God, to get involved in something like this without having to audition would be an extraordinary thing for me. So I asked her, well, how do you get into it? And she said, well, you don't. <laughs> and I said, well, wait, 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 what do you mean you don't? She said, well, no, you don't. You kind of have to be invited. And I said, okay, I don't understand that. What do you mean? I mean, if how does this woman find people that she wants you know, to, to cast or put in her group or, or, or whatever? If she doesn't meet them and she says, well, she finds them in her own way. And I said, well, you know, I'll have my agent call her up. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out all these ways to get a meeting with her. And she says, no, 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 don't do that. If your agent calls, then you'll be like on her blacklist forever. Cause she hates that. She doesn't want to be pestered. Everybody bothers her for work constantly. And so I just thought, man, this is absolutely the craziest thing I've ever heard. So I backed off for a while. And then I just kept bugging her every week. I said, please, look, you know, you know, my work as an actor, you've got like, here are my, you know, my credits, wouldn't that be someone that would be valuable to her? And can't you make an introduction for me? And she was not okay with that either. She was very scared to do this because she didn't want to put herself out. And, and which I understood. I mean, I totally understood because it, you know, it becomes a waste of someone's time if you can't do the job and you're taking the slot for someone else who has experience who can be there and they know she can rely on them to do this but eventually bless her heart she um she stuck her neck out and mentioned me and it was my list of credits that actually got um got her interested in talking to me and i took a meeting with her and the big question she asked me was, you've got a great career. Why do you want to do this? And I said, I'm at this point in my career, I'm much more interested in working in voiceover. I love doing this. It just, it's a lot of fun to me. 
And it's a direction I'd really like to go. And I'd like to see if this is something that, uh, you know, could work out for both of us. And so she hired me the next day and I did my first movie the next day. And it all started to kind of take off uh, from there. I just, I, I, you know, one of the, it's, it's, um, God, it's so hard and I don't mean to bounce around about this, but it's, it's a highly coveted job. For still actors. to this day, right? I mean, it's still absolutely, very, absolutely, very yeah, yeah. It really, it really is. It's very hard to get into, yeah. um, because of all the same reasons I, I started to explain. But it's also a very weird. It's a very strange job, because essentially, what you are asked to do, it's primarily improv. It's all improv stuff. You're just making up dialogue, and we didn't do. We, you know, by the time I was involved, it was no more walla walla peas and carrots. You're actually speaking and saying words and saying lines and and you know coming up with with actual actual dialogue that you're talking back and forth with your um, your your co-loopers or co-actors so that it does sound like real people in different situations speaking, but there are a lot of strange restrictions about it. It's 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 improvisational, but it can't sound too interesting, you know. You, you have to kind of make it sound mundane, yet real and, and varied so that it has a musical quality to it, you know, up and down and back and forth. And some things are quieter, some things are louder. And, you know, you learn, you have to learn on the job because there's no school for this to learn how to do it. So basically my first day and even um, Barbara, Barbara Harris is her name and, and she's the ADR casting, uh, biggest ADR casting person in the business. She, she completely like just took me under her wing and just said, here, you know, you just observe for the first part of the day. So you can kind of learn what's going on. Cause she said, it's very strange. It's very different. You're going to have to kind of figure it out. And when I saw all those actors get up and start doing their stuff, milling about and talking and having nonsensical chatter and going back, I just thought this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. It was just really and truly fascinating. And I got involved in it. Um, when the, when the post-production sound industry started to explode and become a really, really big deal. And that went hand in hand with um, DVD media, where suddenly you now had DVD players and audio video components that could process five to one sound. And you had a real theatrical audio experience in your own home and there's five to one in the movie theaters. So they wanted to have sound that was much more dynamic in all the movies and coming out the back speakers, the side speakers and all over here. And we would spend days. And I mean, some of the projects I worked on, we spent weeks doing all the audio and laying tracks of all the different voices and individual extras and stunt people in the background and battle scenes screaming and being stabbed and dying and we have to do record hundreds of tracks of all these individual things along with big group things that would build up all of this this wall of human sound and boy the first time i heard it played back against the, the original track that was up there i was i was absolutely blown away i just thought it was incredible um because what's part and parcel to this is when when film when films are shot, uh, they're recording already audio, yes, but by and large, extras don't speak. They don't want any like as I've already mentioned. If you're shooting outdoors on location, you get a lot of background noise already that interferes with dialogue. So if you're in a restaurant 
and you have two actors talking to each other and the restaurant is populated with extras, their job is to look like they're talking. They mouth their words. They nod and giggle back and forth and, and you know, <laughs> order, order something from the waiter who will stop and nod and, and say, and you mouth something and walk away, but they're not saying anything. And most people have no idea that this is how it's done. And there <laughs> is <amazing>. nothing <laughs> stranger or more jarring than when you actually watch a movie that has the sound that is not finished yet. And all you see are these people in the background just bobbing their heads and talking. And, and extras have the job of learning how to look like they're having real natural conversation without actually saying any words. So it's, it's, there's two sides of this coin wow. that, that fascinated me immediately when, when I started to do this. Just well, weird thing now, when you're in the movie, okay, you're the star of a movie. You're, okay, you, you led several movies. So when you're in a scene and you have extras behind you, is it weird to just see them all like pantomiming words while you're doing your dialogue? Like well, you're the only voice heard? You know? you know, you really don't think about it that much. Um, and it just doesn't happen all the time. I'll use Witch Mountain for an example, because we had all the scenes with, you know, at the orphanage with the kids, right. and those were real kids. Those weren't actual performers. They were mm -hmm. real kids that went to the school there. And it was, you know, they're, they actually got to be in the movie with us. And they were all cheering and making noises and doing all that stuff. So they did actually record those guys. They just had to re-record some stuff later to make it all work. This is the first, that was an actual school where you were? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's I um, had no idea. <laughs> oh, oh gosh, yes. It's okay. Yeah, we'll digress for a moment. I'm trying to remember what the name of it was. It was, it was oh referred to. It was referred to as a progressive school. So there were there were different age groups that attended it. That big old house was it. It, it was a functioning school, and oh. um, yeah, it just it just it just took the place of of an orphanage for the sake of uh, escape to witch mountain but all those kids and all those scenes in the beginning they were all actual students except for a few of the actors that actually spoke lines right those were actors that were brought from los angeles but the rest of the kids they were and they were awesome i mean it was so much fun working with them because they had a great time and you know they were just playing doing their own stuff but they recorded all that stuff when when they were there so they were not pantomiming so to say it goes both ways when when you're shooting a film but ultimately at the end of the day all of that audio has to be re-recorded cleanly so it can be properly edited so it sounds seamless um, as you're as you're watching it um, because and this is getting a little technical but what happens if when you cut from one actor to another and you have people in the background let's say it's real people in the background you know, just enjoying their, their lives. They happen to be, you know, in the background of a movie. When you cut from one actor to another, all that audio jumps. It, it will sound different in one shot and completely different in another because you have oh. two different areas that are being uh, recorded. So a scene like that, let's say it's at the beach and you're not hiring us, you know, you're hiring extras who are close to the actors, but the rest is real people on the beach and they're playing and screaming and shouting and having a great time. Well, now the foreground actors are going to have to loop their own dialogue. So that's clean without the audio. And then the group, like a group like ours would come in and do all of the people at the beach 
record <laughs> them doing the same stuff they were doing, but we go straight through across all the cuts. So it's, we call it a bed, a, you know, a bed of voices for the entire scene. And then multiple tracks of like individuals shouting, you know, or let's say a couple walks by, you know, you see a guy and a girl walking down the beach and having a conversation. Well, a guy and a girl, you know, looper, actor, two of us would get up and we would stand in front of the microphone and pretend to be talking and try to make, try to come up with dialogue and improv that kind of matches their energy and what they're saying and, and what they're doing. Um, and it, get, it gets... Have you ever like try to sneak in any like lines or just too risky to lose your job? Oh, <laughs> no, no, no. You don't, you don't do that. You don't do that. No, there, there, there are so many rules about what you can and cannot say and shouldn't say that, that um, it's, it's kind of fascinating. I mean, you know, if you're, if you're, if a scene's in a movie theater and you're at the snack counter, you can't say, oh yeah, I want a Coke. You say, no, I'll, I'll take a cola or I'll take a soda. You can't use brand names. You can't use automobile names. You can't mention the names of movies um, because it just is kind of weird to, to hear the name of a movie inside of a movie. Right. You know, things like that. It's like, you, you're, it, it's, it's abstract when you think about it, but it makes sense when you, when you do think about it. You want something that sounds real, but isn't so real that it takes your attention away from what the actual actors are talking about. So if your dialogue is more interesting than, than the dialogue, the, the scripted dialogue the actors are saying, you are, it's a huge no-no. It's a bad mistake. Well, I was just thinking but, you talked about like a guy and a girl walking in the back and like, you know, she says, Chad, I'm leaving you. I'm sleeping with your brother. Just like, you know. Yeah, that's what you absolutely do not want to do. You should not ever, you cannot do that. So yeah, and and when we get new new performers that we're breaking in you're giving them an opportunity to see if they you know can can um you can get into the into the rhythm of what we're doing you sometimes have to re-record things and just you know lightly mention no we don't really want to use that kind of dialogue we need something that's less less interesting be less interesting and that's that's the big watchword. <laughs> be less interesting unless it is asked of us and sometimes it is asked of us. Um, I'll give an example um, on Shrek, uh, which was so much fun to do. And one of the things about doing animated films that people never really think about either, because when you watch an animated film, all that audio is there and you think you just, the suspension of disbelief is, well, yeah, I mean, they just they recorded that then. Right. Well, animation is all there is no audio. Right. There's no recording. Everything's done individually in a studio. So when you have these big group scenes or groups of, of characters on screen, there's nothing recorded for them. It's all animated and there's, and it's completely dead. So then we have to fill that in. And there were a lot of, there were a lot of instances with, 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 with some of the fairy tale characters and, and, and I'm forgetting what they were called, but there was a group of guards that were in the beginning of the film of Shrek, mm -hmm. where they were trying to um, arrest him and, it's a small group, but it's there's some really funny stuff that kind of pops out of their mouths that they say they wanted us to be funny. They said, no, 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 go ahead, be funny, have to be silly, be goofy, be you know, over the top. That's what we want because this is an animated comedy. So then we would have free reign to do things like that in certain situations. So I know I'm going broad with all of this. I hope this makes sense to our listeners in some way, shape, or form, but 
but it, 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 it truly for me was one of the most creative, most fun, most challenging things I ever did as a performer, period. And um, I got as much out of it um, creatively as I ever did with my on-camera career. And I just, I always like to mention, talk about this to the extent that people, a lot of people or fans or people who followed my career often wonder what happened to me. Did I just fall off the face of the planet? And I didn't, I just switched over into this other area that I enjoyed so, so very much. Well, you, you mentioned Shrek, which like, first of all, fantastic movie. One, really one of the great animated movies. <clears throat> but it's so funny to me. You've, you've mentioned you've worked on so many movies, you don't even remember them all. And yeah. that, because uh, like a lot, you know, sometimes you even say to me, like, you know, I think I worked on that one. I'm like thinking, how do you not remember that you worked on a movie? Because Shrek isn't even in your credits. I'm like looking at your IMDb. It's not even in your credits. So you've been on so many things. They don't even list them all. Well, yeah, and the way that works, and it was very interesting um, and frustrating for us in a lot of ways, um, even for, for, for uh, Barbara Harris's uh, group, which I worked for her for a few years, then a, then a few of us splintered off and formed our own group called the LA Mad Dogs, and I ended up um, a partner in that, uh, in that venture, and we did an incredible amount of work for another good 15, 18 years on our own. And the thing was, we were always fighting for getting credit. We wanted to get credit on the film. Sure. And for those people who do like pour over credits, and I have I, ha I have gotten like messages and people have commented in my social media about how they saw my name on, um, I'm trying to think of a, kind of even trying to think of, of one of the examples where they said, well, I saw your name in the, in the credits, but, but I, I keep watching the movie and I can't find you anywhere. It was because that was a movie I did ADR on and got individual credit for it. My name listed as part of the ADR group, or they call it additional voices. They will, will have a list like that. Usually what we fought for, because our reputation, we didn't need the individual credit as actors to perpetuate our business. What we wanted was credit for our loop group name so that that was up there under ADR group or voice right. casting as it's sometimes called. And if you're pouring through the end credits of movies and you just are nerdy that way and like to dig into those things, when it comes to post-production sound or sound design or sound editing, you'll see the credits roll down. There'll be um, sound editor, sound effects, Foley artist, ADR editor, sound that they give the sound recordist. I mean, the person who actually just recorded everything credit. And then it'll say ADR or loop group or voice casting. But by and large, for a very long time, we couldn't even get that. They would just skip over us completely oh. as if we didn't exist. And even though we were all SAG actors and had SAG contracts, that didn't guarantee any kind of credit on a film. It becomes, when it comes to the end credits of a movie, um, it falls under the producer's um, um, whim if they want to give you credit or not there are things that well, they some departments where they just don't even list all the people and you'll often see that on imdb with a lot of people you go down there the, the list and they were in something but it'll 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 make a spe specific note that says uncredited 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 and it happens <laughs> all the time especially in this in this area 
So that's why, that's why Shrek, it would be listed under ADR group, LA Mad Dogs. We got the credit. Um, but some other yours, films. Yours was a very respected group. I mean, because like we've had on yeah. several guests, they, everyone knew LA Mad Dogs. Everyone knew the name. Yeah. Like, you know, so it was very well known. You, you can actually go, there's a website that I actually, it's very rudimentary, but I designed it a long time ago just to give people a place to go and look at all of our credits. LAMadDogs.com, M-A-D-D-O-G-S dot com and it's 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 literally just page after page of every title just every title that we've oh. we've done practically not actually everyone we just we, we put the major ones up because the truth of the matter is every movie needs this work done and not every movie we work on is of a certain caliber so we didn't always want to take credit for some things that we <laughs> did do uh even though it was good for people to know that we worked a lot but you sometimes just didn't want to say, and I don't have them in fresh in my mind in, in any way to share any of them. But, uh, but I mean, some of the bigger titles, just to run them down, Top Gun, I worked on um, the original. Uh, as the Mad Dogs, we did Titanic, Gladiator, uh, the oh, first wow. two, the, the three Shrek films, um, Animation, Madagascar, Pocahontas at Disney, um, Mulan, Hunchback of Notre Dame. And that's just, you know, that's just, that's just a few, but quite literally, I, I, I tried to rack up the number and, and so I figure I've, I've worked on over well over a thousand movies over the course wow. of, of my career. Um, that's why you don't remember them all. <laughs> no, I don't. I have, I, I get this list every quarter uh, for four, it's called foreign royalties and it lists all the titles and, you know, the pennies I get from the different things that I've worked on. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's sometimes up to six, six, eight pages and it's, they're two-sided and it's, it just runs down alphabetically all these things. And I think, God, man, I just don't even remember working on that at all. You know, that's right. I did Air Force One. Oh my God, that's right. I did that. And I, you know, um, and, and it, so it's interesting to glance over it just to refresh my memory, but they just become the kind of, in a way, it, it, you know, we're part of a machine and we're, we're punching out a product and we're moving on to the next thing. And, and so it, it sometimes is hard to remember them, but, but films like Titanic were, <clears throat> my gosh, we had, we had to hire at least 30, 30 to 35 actors per day for over, over three weeks, um, to do all all of that uh adr and audio because there were so many people on the boat and you know of course all the chaos of the sinking and all that i mean all all those voices that you hear is a group of us in a in a studio um creating all that panic and and from from scratch i mean it's 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 really fun stuff so uh I have other questions about the business, but so someone looking to get in now to do that, they're going to have, we already thought they're going to have a very hard time, but how does someone even like approach that now? You just have to know someone or just someone get you in? I think you just have to know someone, someone, wow. sometimes they just have to have a need. The business has changed dramatically since I left it. And I've been out of it for a good, uh, for good grief, 20 years, uh, 20 years now, uh, 18 years. When I was doing it, I call it, I really do call it the heyday of ADR because we, we did these big films. We did everything in these big films and including um, a lot of voice matching for different stars. Um, 
we would have certain actors that specialized in being able to do just that. They were incredible, incredible mimics and they would come in and do the replacement looping for some of the, some of the actors or the stars, because it was less expensive to hire one of us than it was to have them back and pay them for their time to mm-hmm. go in and loop their own dialogue. And some, some stars just flat out don't want to do it. They just refuse to. So the producers have no choice, but to find someone that sounds as much like them as possible to do that kind of work. And one example, I didn't do any of his lines, but in Gladiator, I did all of the ancillary sounds that um, Joaquin Phoenix makes in the movie. I mean, whether he's grunting or snorting or breathing or the battle at the end between he and Russell Crowe, if you, if you, if you listen, I mean, and, and, and I, I, this is the assignment I love to give to people. If you really want to find out how this works, watch that last battle between Russell Crowe and Joaquin Phoenix in, in the arena. And the only thing that comes from those two actors that's them are any words they say, any of the grunts, the effort, we call them efforts. We're doing efforts. If he's swinging a sword and goes, ah, he gets kicked or whatever. All that stuff of Joaquin is me. Everything that's by Russell Crowe is my partner, was my partner at the time, Mitch Carter. And so the two of us spent, practically spent an entire day uh, just between the two of us just recording that scene because it was so intense and there was so much work involved in it i like i said i didn't do any of joaquin's lines they didn't need me for that but um sorry i don't want to interrupt you but before i lose your point of your question back in those days sometimes yes we needed to meet people and we needed to have more people available because so many people started working that they wouldn't necessarily be available to us to work on jobs when we wanted them. So we were constantly kind of like looking for who might actually be a good looper. Yeah. And, and I ended up reaching out to many, uh, quite, quite a number of my contemporaries growing up in the business. Matthew Laberto ended up working with right. us. Um, Moosey Dreyer ended up working with us. And you know, a number, a number of other people, but then we would occasionally meet an actor and think, you know, they might, they might be good at this. Let's bring them in, give them a shot and see. Of course, we were being as inundated as, as Barbara had been or any other group, because there are other groups out there, but when it comes mm-hmm. to the two major names, Barbara, uh, Barbara Harris and uh, the LA Mad Dogs are the two have all historically been the two biggest players. So these days, I really don't know because it's changed a lot. It's it's not. I don't think they do the big. Are the, the Mad Dogs still around? Now? Sorry. Are the Mad Dogs still around? I think they are, but my partners aren't really involved as much anymore. I don't know how much work the Mad Dogs actually get called in for. Um, I just haven't followed it uh, in, in a long time. But my friends who are still working in the business talk about how it's completely changed and it's much smaller now. They bring you in for very specific things. And I think that's primarily because over the course of decades, the, the, all the audio artists and the studios have amassed such huge libraries, libraries of digital material that they can, they can turn into anything they sure. need anytime, anywhere, which they're not supposed <clears throat> to do. I'm right. kind of I'm outing an industry because um, we're supposed to be paid residuals for that. Right. that. That is Screen Actors Guild work, but it's, you can't, it's because it's all just, you know, it's, it's, it's innocuous work. You can't really recognize anyone from it. So you couldn't actually say, oh yeah, that was us that did that, or this was that group that did that. So 
Well, that, that is kind of crappy. Yeah. It really is crappy that they're just, you know, doing that. They're taking jobs away from people. Yeah. To do well, that. I mean, you know, this business evolves and technology evolves. And sometimes like technology evolved to the point where we were our, our particular skill set and knowledge and ability became of paramount importance to these, to these movies. And they needed us and they really needed us to do all of that work. Um, but I, I can't blame them. It's, 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 it's almost like, I, I didn't even know what to, to, to kind of compare it to, but when suddenly you have a, just a massive amount of material out there that you can just go pull for free customize it yourself and then bring the bring you know bring the actors in where you need very specific things done and my friends like Richard Horvitz who we had on talk talked about it um there's just there's a lot more voice matching going on out there Moosey mm -hmm. uh, Dreyer talked about that a lot more voice matching going on these days because just because other actors either can't do it or they're not available or whatever the reasons are they need to bring someone else in so so the business has changed I would, there's, there's no way that I could even say how one would get into it. Just like my friend said, there was no way that I could get into it, but actors are very determined people. And, <laughs> you know, if you know someone is doing it and you want to try it, find out how, you know, find out how you can get close to it or, you know, and yeah, I, I, Basically, I don't know. I'm just yammering because I don't, I don't, I don't have an answer. <laughs> well, I have, I have one point on something that you just said, and I have a couple of questions for you also with this. The 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 point is that you know you, I think it's crappy, like I just said, to use all these you know stockpile voice things to put them into any movie instead of depriving an act. And this just reminded me, and it has nothing to do with this is per se, but you know the technology exists, and I've been reading things that they people were considering doing it. The technology exists and you could take a dead actor now because all the CGI and stuff and make a movie with them. And they, I remember there was talk about this a while ago with taking, you know, actors and making movies like, you know, who have passed away. Like, you know, you can make a Peter Sellers movie who died many, many years ago because you have, you can, you can do that. You can have the CGI and just, you know, have him start a movie and have his voice create the lines for him. It's it's scary, and you know I think unethical in order to, to do something. Well, like I mean we're going to go off onto a tangent here because yeah. I don't know a whole lot about this process, but this is where the deep fake technology is erupting everywhere, and and it is a terrifying thing. It's a terrifying thing on the one hand, and yes, it's it's it, it's potentially an interesting thing on the other. Um, because you know, there have been examples of it in social media and people posting things, deep fake, deep fakes right. of, of stars. And I literally just watched one this week on America's Got Talent. And I know this is going to date this show, but a contestant got up, this guy who's a singer, and he had on a white shirt and jeans and didn't explain what he was going to do, but the screen opened up behind him. And he brought a broadcast camera up onto the stage, aimed at him. And when the screen popped up, the face wasn't his. It was Simon Cowell's face in a white shirt and T-shirt. And then he proceeded to sing a song. And what was going up on the screen was him. Every, every note he was 
hitting and every movement he was making, but it was Simon Cowell's face and it was flawless. Right. And I just, I was dumbstruck. I thought I can't, I, I have no idea how this happens or how they do it, but yes, if you can do that, you can bring Humphrey Bogart back to life. An actor will simply play him, but Bogart's face will be there. They can reproduce his voice and and, and you and don't all have to that. pay actors to be in the movie. Well, not so, that one because he's right. dead. That's right, exactly. <laughs> you're going to pay a lot, but you're going to pay a lot of other people to make it happen. So it's not like it's really an economic model that makes sense. It's more about it's more about the cool factor, I would think. But when it comes to, in my mind, in my mind, because you know, there's there's the technology and the artists they have to have to realize that there's there's a lot it costs a lot more money than it would be just working with those actors but they're no longer available and and clearly you couldn't do that with a living actor because then you are stealing their likeness and that's you can't do that you can't do that that's the back to the future thing (laughs) what i'm waiting what i've been waiting what i've been waiting for with all this is when actors start copywriting their image literally copywriting it and I don't even know if you can do that or anyone has done it, but that way their image is owned by their estate forever. And no one else can do that in the future. You know, once you pass, um, well, I don't know. I don't know that much the about thing, these laws. Like said, that's the thing that Crispin Glover sued back to the future for when they used him, his likeness in part two, because he wasn't in mm. part. Two. So yeah. Uh, yeah, we're getting up a tangent. I know, but I, it's we are, we are, we are, but it, but, but uh, it goes along. It's, it's like, a, and I love this term, the, the term part and parcel. It goes along with the evolution of technology. Things are going to change. You know, certain, certain things are not going to be as prominent in any industry when technology changes. Um, and yeah, so the business is very different. I don't know as much about it these days, but I know back when I was working on it, it was a highly creative, very in-depth, very, actually quite exhausting um process but gosh a whole lot of fun i had a great time doing it while i did it well here are a couple of questions for, for you sure. that, that industry here now you mentioned that a couple of like a, that actors maybe just didn't want to come back and do lines again so yeah, they had yeah. to hire people don't actors they, they sign up for a movie they sign a contract i'm going to be in this movie doesn't that entail all the responsibilities for this movie that I, you know, if I need you coming back to do this, you're still getting paid. You signed the contract. Is that, or does that not apply anymore? Well, it, it all depends upon what the contract is. With a star, they might not want to do it. They might just not want to do it. And, and they can put their foot down and say they're not going to. So they relinquish well, the right. Understand. If you're signing a contract to do that, be in this well, movie. That's part it of the might, it might be a it might be a line item in their contract that says no, they will not loop themselves. You know, wow. the, I, I I won't do this. Mm-hmm. I know when I was working as an actor, part of the SAG contract was that I would be available to re-record dialogue if it was necessary. And I didn't get paid for it. It was part of my original payment. Right. I would come in for the day or however long it took to do it and do it and 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 actually not um sometimes sometimes not get paid for on tv shows that was the case in films i did get paid for it paid for my time um but i wanted to do that sure and and um some actors are so are so um are 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 so it's so important to them they want it to sound good donald sutherland's one donald sutherland is heavy into making sure that his looping work is done perfectly 
that he relishes being a part of the process. And as a matter of fact, he's the most interesting actor I've ever heard of who loops in looping his own dialogue. He brings his own ladder to the stage because he wants to stand on a ladder right in front of the screen so he can see his mouth moving and do, and they have to mic him right there where he's, where he's hanging off of this, standing on this ladder, staring at himself. So he gets his lip sync as perfect as possible. So you have one end of the spectrum where he really wants to protect his performance. And then you have the other end of the spectrum where maybe they just won't, or they might be working on another movie. So they're simply unavailable. Scheduling is the biggest part of this because movie stars are always working. They're working on something. They could be on the other side of the world when the last movie they made is being re-recorded and posted and they just simply can't do it. So sometimes they don't want to, many times they're just not available. And then um, many times the actors are like, you know, like Donald, just very, very, very into it. Now, when you started the Mad Dogs, was it tough at the beginning? I just, because you're a new group and they're already established, group, including the one that you had previously worked for. They're already yeah. established. Was it tough to like start having, you know, a company like hire you brand new or well it, no. it, it was but we we developed a lot of close relationships working over the years with the adr editors and and uh and the and some of the producers we worked with and we started getting work right away but yeah it took a while it took a while because yeah. you know trusting uh, especially this when you get into post-production the pressure turns on with a movie there's pressure during the shooting process, but it's a little bit more lax. There's a little bit more room for error because you're trying to get your 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 images right. Sure. But when you get into post-production, you start to get on a time schedule and you don't have time to hire one group for one day and then have them just absolutely suck. And then you have to go and hire somebody else. Then your rear end is on the line. So there's a, there's a, you know, there's a hierarchy of responsibility that happens there. And we were just, we were just fortunate that we were turning out good work. Now that's great. I, I mean, so do you ever, do you ever like miss doing it? Do you ever like miss like being in part involved in that? Yeah, I do. I do because it's the most fun I've ever had. And, and it's so funny you say that because I literally two nights ago had a dream that I was back on a looping stage and, <laughs> and hanging out with my friends and, and, um, and yeah, it, it's the thing, the thing about it was the, the work was fascinating. It was creative. It was challenging, but the people I worked with were the, some of the most talented people I've ever met in the business. They might not be the greatest actors in the world, but they are incredibly gifted improvisational artists and, and amazing loopers, which sounds so strange, but they're so good at what they do. And they were just the funniest people. It was like spending all day at a, you know, at a comedy club. I mean, funny and smart. And, you know, we just, we, we could play as hard as we worked. And that's what I, that's what I miss. I miss being around talent like that because it's just you know and i wasn't that talented i was good at what i did i wasn't great at it i didn't have to be great at it thank goodness not everyone does but the people who were great were just amazing to watch and they're unsung heroes in the business these are these this is stuff that you'll never be able to witness how it's done to see what happens to see the kind of twisted genius that someone like you know my my friend mitch carter can do i mean I, I would watch him i there were so many times when 
we were doing we were doing scenes where again in a restaurant there'd be a, a couple sitting behind you know the the main actor and you have this guy who's just chatting along and saying things and nodding and words are coming out of his mouth and he pauses and then the girl goes back and forth and they're not saying anything and they're so prominent on screen that you, you have to you have to put we called it putting words in their mouths you had to put words in their mouths in order for the scene to have any sense of reality so it had to be kind of close to what they were saying mitch could get up there and watch it one time and then do an entire run where he said stuff that literally i said that's what they're saying that's what they're saying it was it, he read lips like 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 no one i have ever seen and he could do it on the fly and remember what it was that they were saying and go ahead and record it and not waste. We didn't have to do it. The rest of us would have to do it three, four times before we could get it. But he'd get up there and I just, I would just sit back and say, man, this is one of those people, this, this tiny, dark, fascinating corner of the business that no one is ever going to get to appreciate. And I'm so happy to talk about it just to at least give a shout out to somebody who's really, who's, it, it, it's just so funny. The, the, the show business, the entertainment industry, the thing about it is if, you, if you've got a quirky talent, you're going to find a place. <laughs> and I mean that. I don't care if you're a performer or if you're someone who ties knots. If you've got a quirky talent and you exploit it and you're the best at it, you can find a place in this business <laughs> and, and carve out a great career for yourself. I mean, from animal trainers, you think about animal trainers, people who love animals, you know, I mean, I just, it's just, it's, it's mind boggling how many different areas of the business that you find genius talent that that's useless anywhere else in the world. <laughs> you can't use it any, any place else, but show business. And it blows my mind. <laughs> well, if any movie companies are out there watching this, remember Ike is available now for doing other movie <laughs> <laughs> and you do and i just want to also give another shout out that you do go into this a lot in the in your upcoming memoir so people can go into remember that so be on the lookout for that when it happens yeah i think i'm able to make a little bit more sense about it when i wrote about it than i probably do talking about it because it's it's a it's a scattered topic with a lot of moving parts but hopefully it made no, some this sense is a, this is a fascinating <laughs> topic i'm glad we decided to do this it's you know it's something that not a lot of people realize about, but such it really is such an important part of the movie business because every movie has it. Yeah, every single one. There's there's not one that doesn't. Um, yeah, exactly. And a, and a big, like you said, a, a big appreciation to all the people who do who do this for a living, and you know, voiceover artists in general. Just so I think very unappreciated at times. Yep. I, I, I could not agree more. So yeah, I'm glad we, 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 had, a, we had a chance to go over it too. And now I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> well, let us, let us know in the comments your thoughts. If you, if you do this, know anyone that does this, or if you're interested in this. And uh, as always, thanks for watching. This has been Pop Culture Retro. I'm Jonathan Rosen with Ike Eisenman. And please subscribe. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Retro, where no one was hurt during the making of this podcast.